Hey everybody, it's Eric Newcomer. Uh, I've published, I'm feeling good. Uh, here with uh, Tom Doton. Uh, we got just the, I don't know, the bros episode of Dead Cat. Bros only. <laughs> Benner, Benner is on assignment right now. Uh, she will be reporting back to us shortly as to her progress. We're going to talk about uh, the end of the startup world as we know it. I just uh, published a piece about sort of the scooter industry, uh, CEO, CFO of Bird are stepping down, uh, CFO of Lime is leaving, uh, Sequoia's position they invested more than $100 million is worth less than $6 million right now. Bird's market cap is less than $100 million. I kept yeah. accidentally saying billion when i was filing this story no file away that b you don't need those b's anymore <laughs> i was literally like oh my god every i started putting million in italics just to sort of keep track because i'm like i mean I, this was complimentary That's not to keep track. you were emphasizing a yeah, point yeah i was emphasizing a point but i i also said you know this was a compliment to the firm i was shitting on in the piece but you know normally when you're writing about sequoia you're writing in billions so it's funny to be writing in millions yeah by the way, so tra- so when you say CEO stuff down, that's Travis Vanderzanden, right? Yeah, who who cashed out so early in the whole endeavor. I mean, and, yeah. you know, the information reported this back in the day that he, it seemed like he'd sold forty four million. I I just sort of hedged it with ten. Was that during millions. a fundraise that he like took money yeah, off the I think table? It was kind part of, thing? of the soaring the soaring you know mm, valuation. Smart. smart. I mean, who made money off of it is definitely sort of a big a big question here. But with Vanderzand instead, we I, we'll save like the real bird talk for later. But with Vanderzand and down, and then the CEO of Kraken stepping down, I feel like kind of the the bad boy CEOs. <laughs> I know, you know the and then Dylan are... Field sells for twenty billion. All of a sudden, the Figma CEO. So all of a sudden, you know, the nice guys are coming out on top. You know, yeah. Dylan is the most like I don't know Dylan. He's sort of meek almost. Like you, he is not like the kind of guy who's like you're in the room and he wants to be clear that he's the CEO. He's more the guy who's like hang out in the room and he doesn't care if you don't realize that he's like <laughs> worth the way more than you. I don't know, maybe yeah. money will corrupt, but but yeah, he's always been sort of like a quiet guy and I've like been around him before. Everybody, I mean, he seems very likable. That's a good trend. So yeah, it's funny that Travis Vanderzanden, who is, you know, Travis Kalanick 2.0 and sort of known for being Sort of aggressive and a deals guy. I mean, the kind of person who worked both at Lyft and Uber, and like, and like had falling fallings out with with the execs as he was doing it. Right, he like tried to sell Lyft to Uber or something. You know, he was like, yeah. in, I mean, just like a total like deals kind of guy. The kind of guy who can, you know, raise it like two billion for this like you know total top line growth company. Anyway, okay, we're, we can talk about scooters more. I feel like the big conversation that we want to have out of this episode is the world coming home to roost. We went through this whole period where it seemed like tech startups were defined by venture capital dollars. Instead of VCs investing in tech, things were tech because VCs invested in that. Right, right. And it feels like, yes, like interest rates and everything are forcing the new reality. But I do think part of what's happening is that these techno- these companies that were so speculative weren't great technology businesses, weren't that profitable. Suddenly, they were barely tech businesses at all, right? Right. right. I mean, now, when it comes now, down to now, the, all the reporters get to say we were we were right all along, or I don't I don't know. Well, but we also fueled a lot of their success by writing all of these stories about how impressive their rounds were, right? I mean, like we definitely bought into the message that the founders were pushing and the VCs were pushing, which is like every round is a groundbreaking achievement. Every valuation is a headline. The fact that you raise the money is the story. And so companies like Bird, certainly, which, I mean, their their trajectory and, and Lime, their trajectory to getting to billion-dollar valuations, like ha, 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 now, was the story that right. happened so quickly. And we knew it was absurd at the time. I mean, I was yeah. at the top of that. I mean, I was all about, like, chasing unicorn valuations. But it, but it made total sense to me. I mean, it was a period... Well, it's always a period where reporters feel very defensive about being the ones to just call things as they see it. We're moving away from that somewhat with this sort of reported column style tone. But at the time, it was like, why are reporters poo-pooing everything? Mm -hmm. So we were deferential to the, the, the amounts of money, but then we would write stories about like the unit economics and 
valuations. It didn't make sense. And we were told we were we were shitting on ideas and optimism because we would actually try to do the math. But uh, so let's like trace the scooter trajectory because I think it's a really interesting one because I remember specifically because I covered tech in LA for a long time. <laughs> I was going to say, everything runs back to Tom's obsession with the LA tech scene. But Bird is that story, right? I mean, Bird is like a quintessential LA tech company. And it started in Santa Monica. And uh, I mean, Travis Vanderzand, and I don't know if he's from LA or not, but I just remember, because it, it's just distinct in my mind, that's why I'm making the LA Connection, is a really good source of mine, um, was telling me that he was going to be joining this company. Or he didn't tell me what the company was. He's like, I'm going to be joining a company. I think it's an amazing opportunity. I think it's going to be bigger than Uber. And this would have been like 2017 or something. And so like, that's a real statement, right? I don't even know what bigger than Uber means because right. that was... Right. That being a backward is a 60 billion, 70 billion, right. you know, the things were looking great for them. Well, and that's part of the dynamic with Sequoia that it's like they missed Uber. So now right. they get their second shot and they're not going to let this one get away. Right, right. And so then finally, you know, like I, I, I find out where this person went and it's Bird. And, you know, Corey, who wasn't able to make this episode, but Corey Weinberg, my colleague at The Information, was very into the scooter story from an early day. And and I just I I was I hadn't used them. They hadn't really popped up on the streets in the ways that they kind of magically did. But I just didn't, I, I don't know. I had no idea how to grasp what this opportunity was and why <laughs> people were so excited about it. Not to be cynical. I was just like, why the fuck are we talking about scooters all of a sudden? Living in San Francisco, it really was just like one day, three companies just started putting their scooters on the sidewalks. Right. Yeah, it was. It but was on the weird. LA tech scene piece, I, I think okay. just one one thing that I wanted to be on the record about that I think is amusing darkly is that I often think, I mean, upfront ventures, mm-hmm. Mark Schuster, sort of, the sort of probably the most famous sort of LA local firm, yeah, big boosters of the scene, didn't get in Snap. They they sort of missed some of the best. There were probably, no LA investors in Snap. Yeah, so they they missed like the best LA company and Mm -hmm. then they sort of paid up to make sure they were in bird and like really sort of wrapped their reputation around bird totally and then it was like the worst la investment of them all so (laughs) (laughs) yeah it certainly didn't represent i mean it's funny because i saw the other day someone was pointing out there was like a map of you know la's west side and it drew a triangle and it said like five of the top or five apps that have appeared at the top five of Apple's, you know, I, I, whatever, you know, the app store were built in this triangle. And like the implication was Snap and TikTok and Tinder. And so there's always like LA boosterism. I I never have really believed. I mean, I live in New York now. I live in Brooklyn, but first of all, I believe in Silicon Valley sort of essentialism, but I also just think these sort of like you just come off as super lame by doing like Silicon Alley and like all these like Silicon Beach, yeah. Just I mean, just it, like just admit that it's not you know like you can get to know people, but like Silicon Valley, especially now, is just like on the internet. So I I guess I always sort of roll my eyes at any firm that wanted to like position themselves as like building a local ecosystem. Well, but the the thing about it too is like within that map that I was talking about, those three apps did zero for the LA tech scenes investors. Right. Like Snap had no local VCs in it. TikTok is musically, which is I mean, that's what was in L.A. It's a Chinese company. It doesn't fucking matter for VCs. And then um, Tinder was built inside IAC, inside of like an accelerator inside IAC. So it really didn't have any venture capital inside it. So, you know, considering that all the L.A. boosterism, it's done nothing to the specific people that are pushing for the scene to be like a place that they can put their money in. So anyway, we can move on from the L.A. stuff. Mark Schuster is like a funny aspect to it. But <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, uh, like this thing, it, it, they keep raising more and more money. They expand to more cities, which is basically, that's that's the roadmap for, for growth well, of these I mean, guys, it's, right? It's blitz scaling, you yeah. know, to the worst degree. It's, it's hardware. So the whole low margin, the whole idea that, you know, Uber was a platform is now suddenly sort of out the door. So you see sort of some of the bullshitting you know like yeah and it it's just the sort of like we can sort of take tech metrics and apply them to real world companies and are just amazed that a company you know with with capex actually you had some interesting numbers in your piece that would be fun to kind of deconstruct because when you say that like it's a low margin business i mean that basically is that the money that you pay 
to ride a scooter barely covers the cost of maintenance of these things, right? They're breaking down all the time. The batteries have to be right. replaced. They get stolen. And there are all sorts of warnings in Bird, because Bird's the one that's public. Lime is still private. There are all sorts of warnings in Bird's disclosures about, we might have to change our estimates for how much these things like break down. Or, you know, the whole, the whole maintenance of the fleet is obviously like a big part. And it also just like drastically impacts their accounting. So there's just, it's a, it's a really sort of weird business to look at because of these scooter costs. And then I think Bird got, you know, they all try to get into selling the scooters and just all these, you know, all these things that sort of signal that the model isn't working great. I mean, the core thing to me is just like the unit economics have right. work like people yeah. thought. It's just that simple. It's like... <laughs> yes, the fundamental thesis on whether or not this is a good company just fucking tanked. It's just like they wanted, you know, they needed people to take like a scooter five times a day and they take it like... <laughs> there, There's like a one... A scooter, an individual scooter gets taken like 1.6 times a day for Bird. You know, it's just like... Yeah. It's, it's pretty much that simple. And then yeah. they probably break down faster than they want and they get littered all over the place. And then the city regulation makes it hard. You know, if you're in D.C., you can't really take a scooter scooter straight across the city because i think all the national you know they're just all these carve outs of where you can go where you can't go batteries die brakes fail it's just just a you know brutal business my favorite anecdote by the way about like you know at the time that scooters were all over the landscape was there was a hilarious story in oakland they were really all over the place in oakland i mean that was to a degree i've never seen like they're kind of you know they were definitely present in san francisco uh, and then other places like San Diego, it's kind of fun to take them around, like the boardwalk. But uh, in Oakland, they were like everywhere, like blocking streets. And so people right. would just throw them into Lake Merritt. Right, exactly. That's a real yeah. issue. You talk yeah. to the former execs for these places, they're like, not even like, they're like lakes, rivers, oceans, like every body right. of water they're getting fl- thrown <laughs> into and having to avoid. And, yeah. and, and sincerely, like, you know, NIMBYs, and I'm not... I don't like NIMBYs, but yeah, so they're all, all the type of cranky neighborhood people are just like on constant lookout to like call the police on the scooters and to complain. So you just have sort of both, you know, just bad actors who are willing to like throw them in the water and then sort of the neighborhood watch complainer type. So from every direction you have people. It's a pretty shitty thing to have in your, um, your warnings and disclosures in your, your S one that like a significant percentage of our assets (laughs) could end up in a lake. (laughs) Like doesn't seem like it's a pretty stable business uh, when that happens. I just want to say before we bully the scooter businesses for too long Mm -hmm. that I, I think I can speak for you, but certainly for me, I want them to succeed. Like a lot of the reason everybody was rooting for them is like, oh yeah, this would be much better than Uber. Like what a, what a utopia would be if, if this worked. It's, it's, it's batteries, you know, you're not like shoving more cars into the street. Right. It is kind of convenient to take them rather than walking. And there's also like a business model thing that I like about them that, or, or like the yeah, conceptually that I like about them that I, I want to talk about later. But yeah, I was rooting for them to succeed. And I will say specifically um, because I take uh, city bikes everywhere and that's owned by Lyft. Right. You know, Motivate. And, and you know, I'm worried about those too because it's tied to Lyft. But those are really fucking useful. Like I would love for that to succeed. It would be right. really, really problematic for my day-to-day life if it doesn't. And I'm not saying that they can't exist in some form that we're never going to see scooters again. I'm just saying as a venture scale business. Right. Right. So then the the pandemic hits, everything stops, all these businesses are completely fucked. Lime ends up having to take a pretty significant down round and gets a, a major investment by Uber which rolls their scooter and bicycle business jump into it. Uh, in exchange for right. a stake. Uber may be the biggest investor of all of them in scooters. I wasn't able to get that a hundred percent, but I mean, Uber has poured a ton of money into Lime. So the pandemic hits, everything stops. All these companies are like scrambling to save their asses. Things as they start slowly opening up, the message that they would give to the media was that actually we think scooters are going to be a big pandemic winner because no one's going to want to take public transit anymore. They're still going to need to get around. And here are these scooters like right there for the taking. How sanitary is that? You got to be, you know, it's all about the scooters. And like, right. And they should be booming now. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, part of why I wrote this is like, I'm sick of people just saying like, oh, it'll, it's going to work. It's it, it just like, we're figuring it out. It's like, if this is like, this should be the summer of the scooter. If this thing were, you know, mm-hmm. we're coming out of the pandemic. Also, the, it was a great way to get around 
you know, when people didn't want to be in Ubers. Yeah. I, I just don't, I don't think we need that much more data here to see if it's going no, to be some. No, there's no, there's no like just around the corner for right. them at this point. Like the business is the business. And I was just downtown yesterday uh, going into the office and Dreamforce is happening right now, which is like, you know, the busiest San Francisco can get. Uh, which is also funny now because the busiest San Francisco can get now is still probably like 80% of normal pre-pandemic, but whatever. Uh, but there are scooters all over the fucking place because I'm assuming these companies were like, oh, we're going to get all these right. fucking sales reps that are going to want a scooter to and from their conferences and their yacht parties and stuff. And no one, I didn't see a single person on a scooter. I remember scootering around San Francisco in like a suit jacket one time and felt, I mean, literally these vehicles, I mean, I'm sure most <laughs> people listening to this hopefully have been on one, but it, it feels like you're just flying through the air without anything. I mean, because there's no, it's not like a bicycle where you're like really like attached to it. First of all, if you hit any bump, it feels like you could go totally flying. Right. And so it's, it's a magical experience in that your body is just like... <laughs> Turtling, <laughs> and that you have to like turn off space and You better time. fucking hope it's magical. Right. Have you hurt yourself on a scooter? I like sprained my ankle for a while on one. I never hurt myself, but I saw it happening. Like I could see if I, the, the image, by the way, of you wearing a suit jacket on a scooter, <laughs> probably going to a meeting in yeah. like South Park is like, that is like 2017, like as a poster right there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Just like <laughs> the good times are never going to end. <laughs> Nothing bad can happen here. <laughs> Uh, just like, like flying like, through Soma, like, yeah, probably two beers from some sort. I mean, I think people yeah. drinking in, I mean, I want to know, I would love to know the percentage of scooter rides that start after somebody's had a drink. You need a drink to feel like confident on one of them. But it's also kind of hard to like unlock the apps and like unlock the scooters. So I feel like there's like a, there's, there's some sort of balance between like how drunk you are. But like Austin and play, I mean, Austin places, I think they stopped you from using them after midnight. I mean, clearly... They put all I, kinds of restrictions. At South by Southwest, it was so... It, they had them everywhere, but you could never use them in the areas that you needed to use them because they didn't want people going around the convention centers. And, and, and that's the other piece of why... You know, this isn't going to work out. Because oh, and you, and you didn't even mention the weather aspect to it. Oh, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. that entire business shuts down between right. like <laughs> in most cities between like October and like fucking April. Right, right. That, that's the other thing. Bird, birds worth less than 90 million right now. We're not even in winter. Like buckle up for, you know, yeah. falling stock market and winter. It's just like brutal. Yeah. And the, the statements that they gave to you in your story were pretty hysterical. Right, because was it bird or was it lime? One lime. of them was not lime. Yeah, what was that? There, they were drive were working to drive to profitability, and it's like it wasn't even adjusted EBITDA. You know, it was just like <laughs> I, I mean, I was a little. You know, I feel bad. Obviously, the spokespeople are trying to do uh, the best they can, but but it's like you can't. Most startups at least try to have to like bullshit you that they're like profitable if you like count all our if you discount all our expenses we're turning your profit right. you know right but like if you discount all the scooters <laughs> in lake Merritt, we're actually extremely profitable but but they couldn't even quite pull that one off it's like oh we'll we'll get to a point where we can bullshit you maybe maybe next year get in know? bitches we're driving to profitability <laughs> yeah that wasn't great and then and was it, one of the companies just was it bird that didn't even respond they, they eventually did but like you know they didn't they just fact checked for me but they're the spokesperson that you know everybody knew you know had has left already for twitter you know it's just right. sort of like just another executive who's gone yeah uh, but but let's broaden this out i mean beyond scooters i mean i certainly want your opinion on sort of the GoPuff world literally while i was getting feedback on this piece people were like what about grocery and sort of quick demand so i'm curious uh, what you think. But to me, you know, I certainly fold in sort of autonomous vehicles, like quantum computing. I mean, technologies and things that people want, but just require so much R&D. It never quite made sense why the R&D was happening within a startup rather than a big company or government. And I just feel like with the market correcting and continuing to move down, right. all these companies are on, you know, any company that went public via SPAC are just all on sort of the lookout list and sort of the the case to be made that things things are not brutal yet. Like if you want to like look at where things were in the fall of 2021 when there was like this battle for New York uh, where all of these companies, you know, Joker and Gorillas and Gatier and GoPuff were all trying to 
you know, win this supposed market of people that wanted convenience store items and groceries. Right. I mean, it's very similar to Uber and then scooters and, you know, it's just sort of... The only, the only twist to it is that they weren't, most of them weren't American companies, which I thought is kind of funny. <laughs> only GoPuff is, is based in the U.S. The other ones were all European. Uh, and some of them have claimed that they've made it work in Europe. So whatever, we can deal with that. But like, yeah, basically there's been the shakeout, you know, none of them are operating in New York except GoPuff. At the, or I think Gatier might still be there. I, I don't know. I've never used one of these services. Really? They're actually okay. I mean, it, it's like a kind of hysterical experience because, you know, the argument that they always make is like, it's magical. You, the first time you use it, you you, you know, you, you look at the things you want and in 10 minutes it shows up at your front door. How amazing is that? And it's like, yeah, that is cool. Like that idea is cool. But like any person who thinks about it for more than a few seconds, we're like, how is there a business there? How is there a business in delivering something, not even just in a day, but like, you know, less than 30 minutes? It's this invented need uh, right. that, pe- that people want. Yeah, everything's web fan, you know, it's yeah. just sort of. So like, so the, the, the shakeout happened and like the messaging you get from people close to GoPuff these days or in the last couple of months is like, you know, winter is here. The funding landscape is completely dried up, but the winners are going to be the ones with the most capital in reserve. And so because we as GoPuff have raised, you know, we have $2 billion in the bank, or I don't even know what it is now, but that was like the line a couple of months ago, then like we're going to survive. And when the world opens up again and, and you know, the, the economy is back on stable footing, the survivors will be, you know, the winners. Like the shakeout has happened and because of that, we've survived. And I don't know, maybe there's some examples you could pick in other areas where that has been the case, like the ones that survived the downturn. Were the- right. I left that open for Lime, that Lime wins, you know, right. these these businesses are way too competitive and you need sort of just like a single player. I, and, and I'll even say, because I've done a lot of GoPuff reporting in the last couple of weeks in, you know, lead up to this story I did about their operations. And even the people that are extremely critical of how that company is run will leave open as a possibility that GoPuff could be a winner, you know, that, that right. it, or at least they're not convinced that it's loss, that like the whole business is fucked. And, and so I guess I can't do any better than that, right? Like if people who are already critical of the business say there's still a possibility that they could do all right in the end, then sure, like fine, I'll, I'll, I'll give them that. They're not making any money. They're not profitable. They're not, you know, they, they claim their contribution margin order profitable or something. One, one funny, it's just amazing how slow the world turns. Like for how fast startups are and everything. Like I, for these companies to like get their comeuppance, it's just so long. I mean, in one way, it's it's good that the market and investors give them such a lar- long leash to experiment. But I'm just sitting here thinking like, where does Uber fit into this? Like on the one hand, Uber is sort of the counter to all this, like, oh, reporters, you know, we we saw this coming because, you know, we reporters were shitting on Uber at $3 billion. So there was definitely mm-hmm. a, like, and similarly, you know, I was shitting on food delivery, like DoorDash, Series A probably, you know, so mm-hmm. there, I'm, I'm definitely willing to admit. My point is that still, in my mind, sitting here listening to you, I have this question of, well, is Uber the case that, you know, it does all work or Uber is just going to be the last one to really plummet because you would think if like, if Lime does really poorly and Aurora does really poorly and people really like sit with that, then yeah, part of Uber's value is tied into all those things. Uh, Uber is complicated. As far as it being a public company, it's just not been good. So the fact that they still exist, if you want to give like a participation award for that, then like, sure, fine. Uh, um, I, I There's no question to me that even if Uber gets to like cash flow positive on an annual basis and all this shit, to, to claim that it is like a, you know, out of the, you know, out of the box, huge success. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't buy that. I, I think there's a case to be made that Uber is valuable and is like a key part of the way our transit ecosystem works and right. stuff like that. But but I mean, I mean, like back to food delivery, I, and I think you got at this with your scooters piece. You just have to make a case for the unit economics, <laughs> and like either they work or they don't, and and it's really that simple. And it's like been clear with scooters that they just don't, right? I mean, like the the, the supposition of how people would use them didn't pan out, and with food delivery, I mean, there's no they, real they sk- don't work to pay out huge tech salaries and the big overhead that corporate that these businesses right. required. Could you have a small fleet of super efficient scooters only in the parts of cities that really make a lot of money mm-hmm. with a subsidy from the government or something in the parts of the city that don't make money? 
I'm not saying that like we're never going to see scooters again, but but yeah, mm-hmm. the the unit economics. Do- Sorry, I I just <laughs> you know you publish the story, you're like, well, I, I'm not saying you'll never see a scooter on your city street. I'm saying that like these are terrible investments. Yes. Yeah. And it's the same thing with GoPuff. Like the reason that people keep trying after these businesses is that like it's a really intriguing TAM. And, and you know, if tech is about disruption, then these things are legitimately disruptive, at least so long as that they're existing. But I think like what is funny about these companies and I think gets to your argument that they're not tech companies is that there's very few acquisitions in this space. You know, when it comes down to it, you're not really right. buying much. You know, like within food delivery, you see territorial acquisitions. So like GoPuff will buy a company right. People in the, in the same business, exactly. But they don't buy that. And the reason they don't buy them is because there's no IP. There's no like software, which then just raises the question, what the fuck did you build? If there's no real right. value to your business other than the cash flow that operates your business and like the the commodities that you sell, then it's like hard to say that there's a lot that was achieved through the course of making this thing. And that's depressing. Well, yeah, not, not only do you buy maybe only sort of a network and customers, but uh, you buy the burden of running businesses that all lose money, right? I mean, there isn't one of these that you could go to and you're like, oh, I'm Google. Maybe it's not a super valuable business, but if I own Lyft, you know, I'll throw off a little more cash and I can do other things. It's like, no, you're buying an ongoing financial burden. Yeah. It's going to hurt your business. Right. So, but I, I want to try to be somewhat optimistic or at least like complimentary of the attempt with these businesses, which is that I do think there's something to be said of building a business in tech that isn't software, that, that's a consumer business that isn't just trying to make money through advertising. Because that's basically it with consumer apps, right? I mean, for, or, or consumer businesses is you're basically just like selling attention uh, to, to advertising, or you have these kind of transactional businesses, which all seem to have really shitty margins. And like, I think it's cool. Like, I think it's cool that Uber has built a large, maybe sustainable business, not through advertising. Right. Uh, and I think that should be encouraged. Like, I, I, I want investors and, and, and entrepreneurs to think about that because that does affect regular people. And is just more interesting and innovative to me than advertising, which is like causes huge fucking problems in society. And there, there, there is a sort of argument that runs through the Teals and sort of the Andreessen's of the world and sort of just the Silicon Valley right that basically outside of Silicon Valley, most of the American business is like sclerotic and not building anything and mm-hmm. it's just sort of maintaining profits from sort of ages you know we can't we can't build subway systems we can't you know just everything is extremely expensive and poorly done and so given that i think silicon valley has sort of said well we should just do everything because we are we are the ones who are sort of building sort of competitive aggressive businesses and it becomes harder to disentangle how much silicon valley's success is because of software and the beauty of software and how much it's because we're the smart ones and therefore we can do everything. And I do think this is sort of a corrective to no software. Software was like the key. (laughs) That was was the big part of it, you know, like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Like that's like, that's something that's like a specialized skill set and, uh, and, and scales really well and actually like connects with the idea of venture capital. Right. Uh, where everything else is just like, well, what if we apply the software mindset to a bunch of other fucking businesses? And right. Like, we're smart guys. Like, what if yeah. we just... Uh... Well, I think that's like the fundamental like mistake, right? It's like the worst smart guys and everyone else is stupid. Right. And so we can do it. And, you know, again, it seems like it's so far, it, it's kind of like no harm in trying, right? Like you haven't tanked the economy because all these businesses suck. Right. So I think it's stupid to get too mad about it. Because I do see some people mad. Right. And a lot of people made a ton of money. I mean, Adam Newman, Travis, like... Right, know. so it's successful as far as that goes, right? <laughs> like, you're you're minting wealth. And I guess the staff that, like, supports these people and their new, you know, level of lifestyle. But can I ask you, though, because you, like, I remember a year ago wrote about, like, the return of the consumer app or, like, investors that are still interested in, in backing... That cons- might be, like, a year and a half ago, two years ago at this point. But Really? I thought you wrote it for Newcomer. But was it like, yeah, pre- yeah, I've, I've been, this is two years almost, October. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Is, do, do people still feel that? Like, is there still an appetite for investing in consumer businesses? No, I think it's very challenged. I mean, it's a topic yeah. I want to revisit. 
I mean, the premise of that story, I totally stand by the story. It was basically VC, consumer VCs just want to will consumer into being. And in some ways, it was a reflection of just the market in that there was so much demand to invest. They had so much capital, and yet there were no new platforms really for anyone to jump on. Mm-hmm. And still they were investing. So I, I think that point was totally right. And so there was, you know, this competition over companies like Pop Shop and there was Dispo. Yeah. And, and Be Real, right? That was another right. one. Right. Bro- I broke the Be Real seed in Series A. That was, I think, after that story. And that, you know, that company is sort of on the come up. And of course, TikTok is a huge company that receives super valuable American investments. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know. There's this company, Whatnot, that Connie Chan at Andreessen's in that's sort of, I think, big in the Pokemon card world. You know, but, but, but yeah, I mean, I, sorry, the question is just where's consumer investing stand or just... Yeah, is there still appetite in that? I mean, there's a difference between like, you know, Dispo and like a consumer software app and, you know, Bird. But it's just the idea that, you know, you can build businesses by like capturing an audience of regular people that are you know right. it's not just like a business expense is i mean your... for a while the neobank like chime was sort of a consumer you know consumer facing product mm-hmm. I, I i think the challenge remains what is the platform shift that people are seizing on right mm-hmm. that's what made all these consumer companies possible in sort of the smartphone era and i think you know a lot of people went too early ar vr you know, maybe if Apple comes out with AR in a couple of years, we'll have a platform change. I mean, I think, you know, like AirPods or Alexas or whatever, was that going to be a platform change? There was an argument it would be. I mean, clearly it isn't. Uh, but that was a thing like a couple of years ago. Audio is the new platform, right? Or here's the new fucking, I don't know. There was, there's you, know, you know, good friends of mine run an uh, audio company that I'm very bullish on. But uh, yeah. the uh, but yes, that, uh, yeah, that's a platform uh, well, I mean, I think to me, if I were to play investor, which I'm, you know, affirmatively not, but I think, you know, open AI and just sort of this, like the AI generalist tool stuff. I mean, that's crazy. I do think the dolly, like, I, I think a lot of people are going to try and make investments around all of that and see, I don't know if there are consumer applications that they can build, you know, I don't know whether it's like. Here, here's art for your, you know, any easy way just to use art. You know, I don't know, but like, the, the, I, yeah. I think, I think those, even if that's not a good platform, my point is, consumer investing is generally about chasing sort of a platform shift. The other thing I want to talk about, unless you have any final thoughts on, just in case we might put it in, like, you're off the beat of GoPuff, right? More or less. You're still writing about it some, but you're it's a little safer. Stuff comes my way. I mean, like I'm not I know I'm not spending my time talking to investors and like executives in the space trying to ferret out what's going on there. I will say do, that Do like, you think it'll be the next Amazon? Do you think uh, there's an Amazon to come out of this? Well, Amazon survived the dot com bust and now is worth whatever. I mean, right, you're like have a long time horizon, you know. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, and they think that they're Amazon too, right? I mean, that was a whole story that I wrote. So no, I, I don't personally. I, I, I think uh, I can say this about GoPuff without maybe getting in too much trouble. Uh, I, I think they need to actually work out the tech that they have there and the basic systems of how they operate their business. Because I know a lot of people you know, close to there are very proud of like the software that they've built and the fact that they've built stuff from the ground up. It doesn't seem to work all that well. I'm sorry. It just doesn't. There's too, there's too much like wasted food. They're, they have no idea when deliveries are coming through. There's just like the basic functions of how an operation like that should work that they can't seem to do very effectively. Right. And so if you're going to like beat the odds to survive this winter within your industry and then also beat the odds of the general skepticism about any of these food delivery companies and grocery delivery companies, then you should have like a really like solid to the top down business. And it just doesn't seem like they do. And that I mean, that fits perfectly. That's a good endpoint to the scooter conversation, because really the point is, if you have unlimited money, you're not forced to build things in sort of a bit by bit way where... That, you know, you make profits along the way. You have the systems that work. You're like, oh, we'll waste a bunch of food, but when this is at its end state, we won't waste food anymore. Instead yeah. of saying, oh, we can't build the next factory until we have you know, the next warehouse. Until right. We have one Get warehouse. Get your fucking house in order. Right. Right. Yeah. And it so really pisses me off. I mean, that's why sort of the blitz scale model. You know, happy to sort of, you know, blitz scale and software. Okay, but blitz scale and sort of 
the real world, happy to see that go away a little bit. There's actual waste. And also, like, it is a little bit tiresome, the, like, hoodwink that all of these companies did on VCs, the public, whatever, that, it's like, growth is equivalent to expansion to new cities. Because that's basically what they did. They were like, look at this incredible growth that we've had. And really, all they did was just expand their service to new areas. Right. <laughs> that's the rebuttal I get on the scooter story. People are like, well... If they're really, you know, not working, why do they keep adding new cities? Because every new city would make their business worse. And yeah, well, yeah, it is. <laughs> like, and I understand you can cut costs here and there, and then maybe like you know the the, the some aspects of the fundamentals get a little bit better. But you know, with scooters and now with GoPuff, both of them are in non-expansionary periods where they can't just add new cities to prove growth. So they just all the, their all of their efforts need to be spent towards becoming profitable, which at least as GoPuff is concerned, has meant making cost like cutting employees they have like had two significant rounds of layoffs this year and so uh, i guess during this period why don't you build a real business uh and don't just take money off the table and buy mansions in miami but that's a that's another point all right if you're still hanging around you get to listen to tom and i just have fun as friends because he has something interesting happen in his life maybe it has some business import i honestly don't know uh but somehow Tom was able to wheedle his way onto a jury, which is really <laughs> every reporter's dream. I, I like want to know how they let you yeah. they let you through in the first place. I was like John Cusack in Runaway Jury. I was like a plant that I worked myself in there so I could play the sides <laughs> against each other. Yeah, I want to know if you jury nullified or anything. Yeah. Well, tell us the story. I don't know it. I don't know it. So I'm Yeah, well, I wasn't allowed to talk about it while, you know, while I was in jury. Like every fucking citizen, you know, I got my like summons in the mail. And like most people, you just sort of, you check in every night to, to see if you're going to be called the next day. And I wasn't, I wasn't. And then they sent me a survey beforehand saying, you have to fill out this survey in 24 hours and just ask you basic things about like, where, where do you stand on law enforcement? Where do you stand? Do you know anything about finance and financial crimes? And I was like, yeah, well, I'm not going to give my answers on this podcast, but, um, <laughs> but you answered honestly. I did. Yeah. Which I, uh, if you can read between the lines, I assumed was not going to get me picked right. this jury, <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, so, so, but then I get the call that I, you know, I'm summoned to come into us district courts. This was like federal court. This wasn't, you know, like, you know, your, your, your run of the mill, whatever. This wasn't some, you know, local small town, you know? I, yeah. This wasn't me being called into like, you know, I mean, I wasn't in a John Grisham story. Uh, going into like a you know a Mississippi courtroom. This was a right. uh, big boy uh, U.S. district court. Where was it? Downtown SF. It, it's 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 off of between Golden Gate and Turk. It's a big like twenty story building. It's not far from City Hall. It's it's where all like the the federal buildings are. You get called in, and it's like eight a.m. and everyone's there just like sitting in this in this room, and we're all like bleary eyed and just looking like absolute shit. And, you know, they like have like a court functionary put on like a video, you know, like it's driver's ed. We're all adults and watching this like video of like Sandra Day O'Connor. She was like their big get in the video explaining the importance of jury duty and how valuable it is to a functioning society. Uh, that video itself was pretty hilarious because they like <laughs> tried to answer some of the questions you might have of whether or not you could serve on a jury. And they had like actors, you know, asking these questions as if they were jury members. So there were, they had this one guy who was talking to like the actor playing the judge and he was like, uh, because the judge is like, you know, you're not supposed to discuss the case with anyone that, you know, even people that you live with while you're on a jury, is that going to be a problem for any of you? And the one juror member was like, this is the actor. He was like, well, I talk to my wife every single day about what I've done during the day. And I think it'll be difficult for me to not tell her what I've done on a jury. And like, they like pick the perfect actor to play this role. It's like an absolute like whipped, just, you know, shell of a person. Uh, you're anyway, not allowed so, to tell your wife? Like, no, you're not supposed to tell anyone. You're supposed to go home and like, they, they tell you you're supposed to say, uh, I'm, I'm serving on a jury and it is a criminal case. And, and yeah, you gave to, me that line. Like you gave me some like pat, like... Yeah. Um, so you you adhered to your duty. Even, yeah, I did. Even on Signal, you know. Uh, yeah, what's the I, point I of an boy. encrypted messaging service if not? To, I'm a shitty source. Yeah. But uh, so then, anyway, so then they they haul us into uh, the the main courtroom uh, for voir dire, which is jury selection, and you know they give you numbers beforehand, uh, and I assume the numbers were just sort of random, but mine was 14, and as they were filing us in, I was one of the people that you know. They, they first filed this in and sat us in like the jury box and I was sitting in the jury box and I was just like, oh, okay, cool. I got like nicer seats than the people that are sitting in like the audience. Then the judge comes in and the judge is um, this 80 year old dude. Apparently he is Stephen Breyer's, Justice Breyer's, former Justice Breyer's brother. Hmm. 
uh, he's been serving on like the district court forever. And so, so he comes in and he gives us like another speech about the Constitution and articles, whatever, of the Bill of Rights that make, you know, the jury system a key part of American democracy. And then he goes through one by one for voir dire, asking people where they're from, you know, and what job they have, because that could potentially be a conflict, right, right with, the, with the jury, with the case, uh, and ask like a couple of questions to people. There's about 60 people in the room. So, and he goes one by one meticulously through each person. He's having a great time, <laughs> the judge. He loves this. And so it goes down the line. By the way, it, it, the whole thing is like a fascinating like cross-section of like America, of humanity. Because these are people that are just like ripped out of their lives, thrown into a court. Right. And like have to like explain who they are to people <laughs> that they don't know. Amazing. Yeah. It's just like generally a strange thing to see happen and like right. you know whatever post-pandemic world you know we, we lack connection with people like there are aspects of it that i find very compelling the judge gets to me he's like what job do you have and i was like oh i'm a journalist and he's like immediately like this is more interesting than like <laughs> the 10 people that have worked in healthcare or whatever beforehand and he's like interesting uh what uh could you tell me about your history in journalism yeah which is way more than other people had to ask and then i explained <laughs> that i covered tech and i was in los angeles and then he's like i'm not that interested anymore yeah this is this is not what i thought it could have been right uh and so yeah we, we go through the whole room there's always a couple of cards in the audience a couple of jokers who <laughs> you know have to like uh you know like an ongoing joke was he would always ask you if you have children and are your children of you know are they employed are they of employable age and so the joke began to be you know like oh i'm you know i'm I live in Livermore. I work as a radio lab technician. I have a child who's three. He's unemployed. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So. Oh my God. I can imagine that being way overdone. Like 50 people do that. Yeah. But like the guys who think that they've found a new twist on it are very committed to the bit. Right. But anyway, so then we, we take a break and he confers with, uh, it's the U.S. attorneys, uh, or, you know, it's, it's the United States is the prosecution and, and the defense. Uh, and then we go out for a break and we come back and they start dismissing jurors. And, you know, it's like it is in, you know, like the TV shows are just like, OK, juror number one, number seven, number nine, stand up, you're dismissed. And I start to see the room starting to like, <laughs> like it starts to like shrink around me and I'm still in the jury box. And then they ask people that were still in the in the pews, whatever you call them, uh, to like, you know, come move up to the front. And if there's open spaces in the jury box, come sit here. And then the judge sort of looks at uh, both the councils and looks up there and says, is this your jury? And he's like, yep, this is our jury. And I'm like, oh, oh my fuck. God, <laughs> it's me. I did not. I really did not expect the, this. because The always, lawyers didn't ask you any questions to try and eliminate you or anything? They asked questions to other people. I think they were committed to me from the outset. Interesting. I, which I was shocked by. Because they wanted somebody like involved. Like I would think the worry no with idea. you would be you're like, oh, I'm going to. I'm going to write about it. Salt, no, I'm going to salt, you know, like I'm going to like, yeah, just like over involve, like not take enough cues. Like I, The line used to always be that they don't want journalists on juries right. because I, I don't know why exactly. Like we're, we're too we're too independent in how we think. You don't or, want, right. You don't want that independent of a thinker. I think, I think so. Jury. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, think we should, but, you know. I later got resolution on why I was on the jury. Oh, that could be like the, the, the twist at the end of the story. Oh, okay. But uh, so anyway, so so they, they, they pick us. And I want to know the case, obviously. I don't need... So the case is that they were charging this, this dude, this Romanian guy, with um, financial fraud. They charged him with putting a skimmer on an ATM, which is basically a device that could scan huh, yeah. a debit card and grab all the, the, the data from it, and then putting a pinhole camera on the ATM to capture the pin code. Smart. Yeah, and so and was able to then uh, make withdrawals uh, from like, they had seven or eight victims or something for this guy. So they were, they were charging with financial fraud, you know, using an unauthorized access device. That's the, uh, that's the debit card. And then um, and they, they, it be, uh, they charged him with like interstate fraud because when the transactions were being made at the ATMs, it was pinging a server out of state, some sort of like, because it was First Republic Bank was the bank that was defrauded, but he was withdrawing allegedly, or well, yeah, he was withdrawing from Bank of America ATMs. And I guess when you have to like do an interbank transfer, it pings a server that's out of state. And so that was like an extra added crime. That's unfair. That sucks. It's like, oops, you didn't want to like commit 
out as, you know, federal. <laughs> that much fraud. I wanted to only just do state fraud. Yeah, exactly. There should be a, like, I was trying. There yeah. should be a, able to amount of defense. Like, I was doing my best to stay within the state. It's this insane. Right. You know, this, is the, this is the you, punitive penal system. Right, exactly. Right it's now. global. It's, it's this federal overreach that we can't just have a bank that only, only operates in one state so I can commit my small crimes. Right. Anyway. Well, small crimes is the right thing. Well, did you did you convict on all the charges? Well, no, or? but here's here's why the, the how the case gets hilarious because the amount of financial like fraud that happened here was less than $4,000. Oh my Be- god. Because each time that this guy was withdrawing the cash, he would withdraw it um, the same amount. It would be two transactions, one's for $420 and the next for $380, and then each transaction had like a fee on top of it because it was an interbank thing. So every like transaction was this minuscule amount. And so the prosecution calls up some of the people who were victimized by this. And it was the same story every time. They would get up there and they would like start to give their testimony. And it was very clear that they did not really want to be here Hmm. because they, you know, it was like, oh, my name is Michael. I'm a mechanic in San Francisco. Uh, And they were like, how did you find out, you know, that you had had money taken from you? It's like, well, I checked my bank records and I saw their withdrawals that I didn't make. And then they're like, well, what happened next? So like, uh, I told First Republic Bank and they credited me the money. <laughs> so, and that <laughs> right. They don't need them charged. The bank is the victim, really. Yeah. The bank is a victim here. And by the way, it's a bank that in total, you know, lost less than $4,000 in this process. Right. So already, like, this is tiddlywink shit, th- this whole thing. Also, the, the uh, part of the prosecution was the Secret Service, because apparently, maybe you knew this, financial crimes are investigated by the secret service I, I think i knew that on some elementary school quiz bowl level or high school yeah. maybe high school quiz yeah bowl. like in addition to protecting like you know fucking jared kushner they also like investigate financial crimes but anyway so the case is the guy that's you know the defendant here is this romanian dude who's just like sitting there in the back he's wearing a t-shirt the first day and then the second day he switches to a long sleeve shirt and that's relevant to the case because there the prosecution's entire case came down to the fact that they had pictures of this dope like at ATMs. And so they had pictures of this guy kind of like leaning forward, like, you know, typing in the pin code. And he had um, distinctive tattoos. And you could see on his arm, you know, like in the pictures, they had sort of like tattoos, uh, sort of the ends of the tattoos that were peeking out, over, you know, through the sleeves. And so, you know, like the key damning piece of evidence is they had a picture of this dude shirtless that we had to like stare at and like all parts of his arms so we could see like the full extent of his tattoos it was also very funny because his tattoos the 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 prosecution kept talking about you know descriptions of it that you could match to the photos that they had they're like you can see you know on his arms there's kind of a creature and the appendage of the creature. <laughs> what is, is it, of, like a squirtle or something? Or? No, it was Alien and a Predator. Oh. <laughs> uh, like one army and another one and Predator. And I was like, it was killing me the whole time. They were talking so vaguely about like, what were these designs? And it's just like, lawyers just don't get out. Like they, <laughs> they have no knowledge of pop culture. But so the, the case came down to the fact that they had pictures of this guy, kind of grainy pictures of him. The defense never presented a case. Huh. They, 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 he didn't testify. They, they rested immediately after the prosecution because their entire thing came down to reasonable doubt. Right. Um, they were just like, because they had no, the prosecution had no evidence that he was at the ATMs at this time. Right. They had no evidence that he was in California. They had hmm. no evidence that he was in America. They basically extracted this guy from Romania at some point. And like, I don't know. I'm, I'm one quarter Romanian. There are a lot of guys who fucking look like that. <laughs> like, Interesting. You know, there's a lot of like, he looks like a, like a cartoon henchman. I mean, it's just <laughs> like a, like, like he basically, if he had like a striped shirt and like fucking eye, you know, masks on, he would be like from a Looney Tunes cartoon. But anyway, but they had no case. It was basically just like, is this photo that you looked at of him? Wait, they didn't have anything else connecting this guy to that? Nope. Nope, just a picture of him. And they, how did they find him? So that's the big question about this whole thing. It was like two things. How did they find him and why are they charging this guy for less than $4,000 in fraud? Right. And like, I think what's going on here is that there's a much larger ring of criminals that they have wrapped right. up and that there, I, there were other charges that we were not supposed to, you know, discuss, like that we weren't in, informed of, that weren't party to this case that are in there. So there's something much larger happening here, hmm. uh, that we weren't privy to, but we were just supposed to adjudicate on, on this whole thing. And so what was the debate like in the jury room? Well, so we go back to the jury room after literally 
Because it was very fast. You were worried like you were going to be tied up all week. Yeah, I had no clue. Um, there was, I, honestly, if you look at like time of possession, I probably spent more time in voir dire than I did like overhearing the case. Like the, the testimony started afternoon of um, Monday. They wrapped up by uh, afternoon of uh, Tuesday. So yeah, we get to the jury room and we're all just like sitting down <laughs> And the person that we had elected as foreman is just like... Wait, did you run? No. No, I didn't I didn't. Was run. it sort of like the tallest guy was elected or like how did they... He actually was fairly tall. I, I mean, like, so you, you sort of like look around the room and be like, anybody want to be foreman? And then like one guy makes jokes like, it would be my dream in life to be foreman. And it's like, you just got it. We just made you foreman. I know you thought you were joking, but you probably actually did want it. Yeah, you probably want it because anybody... You can't... Yeah. You can't say, oh, I, I I love to be like, I feel like if you're a little eager, I don't know. Right. But like the, the social dynamics of how jury deliberations work out is pretty interesting, too, because immediately, sorry, but like the three white dudes, like commandeer the room. Oh, like, like including <laughs> yourself or? Yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but but anyway, so the guy who's the foreman who's like, you know, leading the discussion is like, so is there anybody here who thinks it isn't the guy? <laughs> And I raised my hand. I'm what? the only one. I'm the only one. Oh who, my God. Who, who is like, I'm like, I'm like, I, I don't know. I kind of have reasonable doubt. Like they didn't oh present a single God. piece of evidence. And I could just see everyone's eyes just being like, oh my fucking God, <laughs> this guy. <laughs> like, oh my God. Are you, were you really? I like... was just, I was so hung up on, I like fucking, I like, I over journalisted it. I was just right. like, well, I don't know. Like it could be reasonable. Like right. I was so annoyed by the fact that the prosecution didn't present any evidence other than like a photo of the guy. And it's right. like, but there's like, you know, there's affirmation bias by that kind of thing. It's like, right. you showed me a person who you tell me is this person. Right. Of course, I'm going to think it's right. that person. Right. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like. Oh, we hear like, you know, yeah, if it were a social experiment, you'd show people like 10 different tattoo people and pictures and say match them up or something. You know, yeah, right. it is sort of like. And it wasn't like we could see the whole tattoo. We could see like bits of it through the sleeve. Right. And the prosecution never told us how they even fucking found this guy. They said it right. was through social media. That was it. They said <laughs> open source This is media. like a tech story. This is like, uh, yeah. yeah, how. Sure. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> There's your tech angle. But yeah, so it, that, that was what annoyed me so much. It was like they didn't present an image expert. They didn't present some sort of forensics guy who can tell us, you know, it is my professional opinion that these tattoos match the ones that you see in the courtroom today. It was just like, look at this picture, you idiots. Isn't it obviously the guy? And so I was just mad about that, basically. Right. I, I just felt like the prosecution didn't do it. It's crazy to me they couldn't get like one other thing. You know, just like something like, one, like, again, you know, he did it. They had no like, evidence that he was in and they had, they found devices on him in Romania. They seized devices and they found nothing on them. Why did they tell you that if there was no, there was cross-examination, there yeah. just wasn't. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was obviously brought up in cross yeah. by the defense. Um, look, my distinct opinion about this is that this was the B team. Right. But anyway, I mean, I'm sure they're know, listening so, to the podcast. Well, so that's my twist at the end, but anyway, so, so, um, how many twists? I feel like you promised us like five twists here. Uh, well, you could tell me this any of this was worthwhile <laughs> at the end. But anyway, so they give us like the binder and I'm like, you know, flipping through the photos of like the guy like in his shirtless dude and then the picture from the ATM. And I'm like, yeah, it's it's him. Sorry. Like it just is right. as much as I can make it him. I mean, right. yeah, I don't know. And so, so yeah, so so we, we voted to convict on, all, on all, <laughs> all charges. So you were like, you think they would have just like, all right, we're done, right? Like how long did you hold him up? Or like, was this like 15 minutes? An or? extra five minutes. I don't oh, know. Maybe right. I just wanted attention. <laughs> Maybe I just wanted people to have to convince me. Right. Um, and no one was even really trying to convince me. They were being very nice to me. But everyone else was just like, dude, it's the guy. I don't know right. what else to tell you. Right. <laughs> he had a very, uh, as the as the prosecution would say, he had a characteristic nose, uh, which like as someone in the characteristic nose community, you know, they're, 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 <laughs> there's, there's more than a few of us. But anyway, so, so yeah, we go back in the courtroom. You know, we deliver the verdict. And then they have us go sit down in like the the, the jury room again. The judge comes in tells us again about how amazing we are and, you know, how great jury systems are. And then apparently there's this portion at the end of trials where you can go back into the jury room. The defendant has left and you can kind of like chat and pal around with the prosecution and the defense because hmm. they want to hear from juries like, oh, what, what did you like? What didn't you like? You know, thoughts? Interesting. And so I was like, well, I've already given up most of my day being right. here. I might as well just go in and do it. And so we're sitting in the jury box and the prosecution's there and the defense is there. And they're just like, so what, I mean, yeah, like, what did you like? What didn't you like? And, 
And they're like, was anyone not convinced? And the defense was just like, did anyone not think it was the guy? And I raised my hand and they were just like, what's wrong with you? Like, how did you not? <laughs> Even the defense? Did... Like, no, the de- no, the defense was being nice about it. But they, it turned out, were like a pro, they were doing it pro bono. Yeah. They worked for some lar- large law firm. You know, they were pretty junior partner, not partners. They were like pretty junior, like fresh out of law school attorneys. One of them, right. like his parents were in the audience watching him. Oh my God. Which, which was cute. And so, uh, and so, yeah, so then like, you know, the jury starts like picking apart their case being like, well, you know, you on the defense, you really have very expressive eyes. And so every time I saw you oh reacting to Oh my God, things, I hate this stuff. You tell people they can be experts and they're just like. Yeah, yeah I thought it was bullshit. They'll fill an answer. They don't know anything. Like, Yeah, but it's like you literally were some person that they pulled off of the street two right. days ago. Like don't, don't fucking tell someone. Right. Like, but you now know. you feel like an expert because the judge has been telling you you're like a goddamn hero. You're like, right. you are the jury. You're the person they're supposed to impress. So whatever right. you happen to think, that's correct so then yeah. you can just speak with like utter confidence about like strategic mistakes of like someone who knows far more about this than you like oh my god it's right yeah it's like someone who like is fifty thousand dollars <laughs> in debt because of law school i would and like had to pass the bar i trust a little bit more than like you know whatever some you know at home nursing technician the guy trying to make the best version of like the joke about their two-year-old being unemployed you know? yeah yeah exactly but anyway so then uh, but then it's like, I think a, an older woman who was in the jury started to feel a little uncomfortable that we were like, people were attacking their case. And so she's like, well, I just want to say, I thought the prosecution and the defense did it a lovely job. Oh my God. I thought they were both just amazing. And I think you guys should be very proud of yourself. And this is did. San Francisco. This is a San Francisco problem too. Yeah. Like I feel like New, for New York, they must be, I, I would love to see the data on like New Yorkers are not <laughs> sticking around for this. It's like, well, yeah, the people that sticking around it's already it's like what's wrong with you right. you know it's like you've taken time out of your day like what yeah it's, it's these are people who like i don't know volunteer. so what what was your angle why were you sticking around well i just I, well because i was trying to see if i could source up with the u.s attorneys like, right. i wanted to see and and so at the end of like us asking questions uh one of the u.s attorneys he's like hey can i ask you guys a question we're like yeah please and he's like you the journalist um how do you like being a journalist how do you like working at Insider? Huh. Uh, and so I answered that question. And then um, I talked to the guy in the end. I guess he used to work for the Daily Journal, oh, um, which is like a legal journal. And so he had aspirations to be a journalist. Yeah. And so I asked him why they picked me. That's the funny thing about being a journalist. You meet all these richer people than you who are like, oh, yeah, I wanted to be a journalist. And then I, I grew right. up. There was still kind of a sadness in his eyes, though. Like I don't I know. know. He I just, know there is like they. That's that's the exchange. I don't know what they, they think they the job is. They want to be a journalist. You like you are. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, I will say you know through that whole experience, it was short, which helps a lot. The case was like very small potatoes, so I wasn't like weighing over someone's life and death. I had a fucking blast. I loved it. I thought it I was ho- great. I hope they get an appeal out of this. I hope something you said just ruins this whole case. And they're like, that they're oh. going to mistrial because of yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. They're, well, you saw, I mean, the crazy thing with, um, who is the woman who like was tied in the Epstein thing who got convicted? Jelaine Maxwell? Yeah. And, and then like a juror in that case, like said something publicly that created all these problems for that they thought there was going to be a mistrial yeah. right i forget what yeah. happened did that get resolved or I, well i don't think they've done a new trial so yeah. I, I think it did but um i mean look the judge tells you at the end that you're allowed to talk about the case there wasn't any qualifiers put on right it. and clearly the defense didn't give a shit about this one <laughs> they i think they had bigger fish why to fry. did they plea this that's what doesn't make sense if it was like i mean if he wanted to say he was not what's guilty the, what, you you don't do the sentencing somebody else sentences? no judge does that Oh, okay. Do you know what it was? or uh, No, that'll happen in a month or so. But the guy's last name is Kopach, C-O-A-P-C-O-P-A-C-Z or something. So if anyone, any one of our listeners that are still listening want to uh, want to search this thing out, um, I can't imagine it's going to be for that long unless there's other shit that he is wrapped up in, um, which I would assume. What happens if you don't go to your jury summons? I think you can be in contempt of court. I think you're, you're legally obligated to go. So if they if they decide to go that route, they could. Uh, I, I need to figure. I feel like I've missed a couple. Uh, I, I look. I, you know, ch- check in with your boss. I just I just but, don't believe in mail. Like I I just yeah. anyone who tries to get me doing anything via the mail. Like I just. It's well, you know like, the funny thing about the mail thing. I don't know about like local courts and stuff, but like they always you're supposed to go to the website every day at like five twenty to check if you're called the next day. They also sent me a text and emailed me. I never needed to go to the website. Like, I think this mail thing is, it's like an anachronism. Right. We need to move on. Email needs to be the official way to reach everybody. Like, yeah. The mail, 
to me is all just junk. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I mean, I don't know how many people have missed it because of like, that. Like, I feel like wedding invites, I'm just like the classic. If you mail it to me, that is the worst way to make sure it gets in front of me. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it's only an issue if they don't have enough jurors present, right? Like, hmm. there were enough, there were there were 60 people uh, in that courtroom, so they clearly had enough to pull from. But I don't know. Highly recommended. I, uh, I, I, I say I say go. Uh, four to five stars. Take, take a scooter to your local courthouse and do your... Civic duty. Yeah. Uh, congrats to everyone who made it through this whole episode. Uh, we will. We will see you all back here. I'm gonna make Tom cut this one down. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Silicon Valley. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.